Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapaknaz. I want to welcome you to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapaknaz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapaknaz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapaknaz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Um, thank you for worshiping the Lord through your tithes and offerings. Well, as we, uh, as we transition... Uh, into the the sermon it's always good to remember and it's always good to note that uh, worship hasn't stopped now um, and that worship is continuing through this message and in fact um, this message is not necessarily even the most important part of worship right Uh, this is kind of as we sit in church on Sundays a lot of times everything kind of flows towards the message right it seems like that's the the goal that's the reason that's the the thing that we all come for. And as a preacher, uh, it's very easy for me to also have that kind of conflated idea that, that it's really all about the preached sermon. But the reality is, is that for as important as the preached word is, because I believe it's powerful, and I believe God moves through it, and he speaks to us through this time, that this is not the penultimate of worship, sitting and listening. The penultimate of of worship, the the ultimate, the best, the most ideal, is a heart surrender to God. That's worship. And you can be listening to a sermon, you can be singing a song, you can be giving tithes and offerings. When your heart is surrendered to God, that is worship. And that's what we seek. And so I hope you continue to worship the Lord um, as we do go into the Word today um, and present uh, the message this morning. As you know, we've been in a series um, called Outsiders, right? And so maybe some of you are thinking, when you hear the word Outsiders, you think of the 1980s movie, The Outsiders, right? Um, For me, I think of a song by the band Need to Breathe called The Outsiders. Um, We have these ideas that when we hear words, we conjure imagery, we, we think of things that come to mind. And culture often teaches us when we talk about outsiders that the outsiders are the misunderstood but also kind of the cool ones, right? They're the ones that, that everybody really wishes they could be like but nobody feels like they have the freedom to do that. The in crowd is, is actually kind of the arrogant ones, the full of themselves but the outsiders are the ones we emulate and we want to be like. But yet we're, we're faced with this dissonance because while we say, oh yeah, that looks cool, I want to be like an outsider, we also have this drive inside of us that says, I'm very uncomfortable being on the outside. I want to be on the inside. I want to belong. I don't want to pave my own path. I want to, I want to be a part of something else, something bigger. In fact, I think God created us with that. That's part of our DNA, that God created us with the drive to be a part of something because he created us with the desire to be a part of his kingdom. We crave being insiders because we were created to be insiders. We were created for it. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at, at a couple stories of insiders and outsiders. And an outsider that became an insider. And insiders that didn't want outsiders to be insiders. And maybe somewhere along the way, you'll find yourself in one of their stories. You'll say, yep, that's me. That's, that's where I'm at. And as you find yourself, you begin to ask the questions, all right, God, how do you, how do you want to move me from this place? How do you want to grow me deeper? How do you want to make me more like you with this, with my natural tendency? The question that comes to my mind when I think of outsiders is, what's the difference between an outsider and an insider? When we talk about the kingdom of God, specifically, the obvious is that those who have accepted Jesus are insiders and those who have not are, are outsiders, right? Uh, but there's another element there that um, maybe goes without being said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Because I, I think it helps illuminate what's going on here. That the difference between an outsider and an insider is that the insider has received grace that was offered to them. And the outsider has rejected it. See, the difference between an insider and an outsider isn't that one has the inside track, that one has it figured out, that one has a better idea or a better understanding or is better connected. No, the difference is that one has received and accepted grace given to them and the other has yet to do it. The same grace is offered to both. Just one's accepted and one hasn't. So this morning, we're going to look at, at, like I said, a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 9 and Luke 15. I invite you right now to turn to Acts chapter 9. Um, and maybe put your thumb in, in Luke 15. We'll get there in a little bit. But in Acts chapter 9, we, we begin to see the story. Acts, of course, tells the story of the disciples and the early church shortly after Jesus has died, resurrected, and gone back up into heaven. What do we do now? Our leader has come. He's conquered death. He's told us we have freedom to go and preach the gospel, but how do we do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Church doesn't yet exist. What does community and church look like? What does it mean to be a part of a community of people who believe in this Jesus, the Christ, when the rest of the world denies it? When the rest of the world denies that he was who he said he was, what does it mean to do that? And so Acts tells that story. And specifically here in Acts chapter 9, we see a story about a man by the name of Saul. Now, some of you might be familiar with Saul later on in life. Saul becomes Paul. But right now, Saul is anything but what he was like when he became Paul. Very different person. I mean, it's almost an entirely different uh, being and state of life. Saul is committed, committed to his religious uh, teachings and his religious dogma to the point that he will do anything to eradicate the disease that is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is on a mission to remove it from the face of the earth. And that means killing as many Christians as he can possibly get his hands on. And so as Saul is on his way to a place called Damascus, he's on a mission. He's on the warpath. 
And he encounters God in a way that he never did before. And he gets knocked down off his horse. He gets blinded and he gets told this in verse 10. It says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Pause there for a second. Saul, his reputation preceded him. The Christians in Damascus knew about Saul. And in fact, they knew he was coming. And they knew he had the authority from the religious leaders of the area to do the things he wanted to do. And so when Ananias, some Christian in some house living there in the town, someone just like you or me, was told by God, hey, I want you to go see this Saul guy, place your hands on him so that he can get his sight back, because he is going to help me spread this gospel message beyond just the Jews, beyond just the Jewish people, into the Gentiles, into the kings, and to spread this gospel across the land. <laughs> if I was Ananias, I think I would have protested a little bit more than he did. I mean, he kind of just said, but God, you know who this guy is, right? And God's like, yes, I know who he is. I need you to go do it. And so Ananias goes, okay. Okay, I'll go do it. See, Ananias had received grace and he was willing to extend it to someone else. Ananias had received the grace of Jesus Christ and he knew that Saul was not the type of person that maybe would be a good influence for his kids. Quote, unquote. But nonetheless... Ananias said, I've received this grace. I didn't earn it. God gave it to me freely. It's not mine to hold on to, so I'm going to give it to this man named Saul. And in fact, Saul himself had received grace. Let's pick up the story uh, back in verse 19. Once again, he said, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So then it says, Saul was with the Damascus, or I'm sorry, with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, 
he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purposes of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to them and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So that, let's put yourself in Saul's shoes for a second. Just imagine. Imagine you've devoted your life to a goal or an ideal. Imagine that goal or ideal is to eradicate a religious group from the face of the earth. Now imagine you convert. You've seen the error of your ways. You've received some kind of grace, some benefit from following after this, this thing that you once fought so strongly against. And you begin to look at the people who believe it in a whole different way. And so as you walk into the room and you're anticipating, you're expecting greetings of how wonderful you've come to be with us. We're so thankful you've seen the error of your ways. Praise the Lord that now you've come to your senses. Instead, he's met with rejection. He's met with arms extended, not in hugs, but to keep him away. Because they don't trust him. It's probably a trick, right? I mean, this Saul guy has been crafty. So he's probably decided, he's going to say, I've converted so that he can find out where all the Christians are at and then go arrest them all. Christians are skeptical. They don't believe that he's really changed. Maybe they don't believe that God could really change him. Receiving grace makes the outsider an insider. Saul in this moment, he's already an insider. Saul is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, getting his life threatened. Saul belongs to the people of God. Whether or not the people of God are accepting him. God has accepted him. God has brought him in. God has said, I want you on the inside, not on the outside. So receiving grace makes the outsider an insider. But insiders aren't always as gracious. Let me talk to the church folk for a second. Sometimes, we do a really lousy job at creating space for people to come and be a part. Sometimes 
We're just bad at it. Sometimes we look nothing like the Jesus we claim to follow because we're so focused on some ideal of righteousness, some, some ideal of morality, that we can't create and allow space for someone to find their place and learn what it means to live and act. That we can't create a space where somebody can belong and be a part of a community before they've learned all the right do's and don'ts. We flip it on the other end and we say, no, no, no. Until you can do and don't the right way, you can't be a part. That's never how Jesus responds. Jesus says, no, come be a part. Yeah, that, yeah, I get it. That's kind of an issue there. That, that, that area of your life, that needs some work. And Jesus says, we're going to work on that. Don't worry about it. I got it. But I want you here with me. Because I can't work on it if you're out there. You need to be here with me in community where you're loved and comforted and cared for. The difference between an outsider and an insider is the grace received. But sometimes insiders aren't willing to give that grace that they've received. Maybe that's a convicting word for someone in this room today. Are you extending the grace you've received to the people you know and maybe the people you don't know but you see them on TV and you demonize and you vilify and you speak all kinds of evil about how terrible a person they are because of X, Y, Z? Grace is a gift that we don't own the market on. But God does call us and ask us to extend it to others. So my thing that I want us to think and I want us to remember today is that we are called to be like Barnabas in this story. In Acts chapter 9 here, Saul has had this experience with Ananias and Ananias went and he did his thing and he said, hey, good luck, brother, go, go preach the gospel. And Saul goes and preaches the gospel and he gets threatened to get killed and he, he goes to Jerusalem and he says, hey, Christians, I'm one of you guys now. And they say, no, we don't want anything to do with you. Here comes Barnabas. Once again, nobody especially special. Nobody of particular accolade. It doesn't say, here's the pastor Barnabas of the church. It doesn't say, here's the, the chief bishop Barnabas. It doesn't say, here's the ordained minister Barnabas. It says, no, here's Barnabas. And what Barnabas did is he said, I believe that God did what Saul says he did. And Saul is now one of us. So come on. Let's bring him in. In fact, Saul, you come with me. You're, you're mine now. You're my buddy. You're my friend. You're my partner in this. And he brings him into the circle. Insiders have the opportunity to make outsiders insiders. You and I have the opportunity to make outsiders insiders. And I don't just mean by inviting them to come to church on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. 
That's great. That's wonderful. We're glad when you bring folk here that haven't been here before. But what I mean is the all-important aspect of they are living in darkness. They know nothing of the ways of Jesus. Yeah, they've heard him because they live in America. And everybody in America has heard about Jesus. Doesn't mean they believe in him. Doesn't mean they, they follow him. They're living in darkness. And once they begin to show a little bit of interest or, or curiosity about Jesus, the way the insiders respond either encourages that growth or pushes them away. It says there's no space here for that. We don't have space here for you to ask those questions. I remember I was a freshman in college and I was volunteering at a, a local church and I was uh, the Sunday school small group leader for the seventh grade boys. And I remember, I, it's vivid in my mind, one Sunday morning, one of the boys was asking all these questions, these difficult questions, hard questions about creation and good and evil and why do bad things happen and, and, and all these things. And one of the other adult leaders basically said, we're not going to waste time talking about these questions. Just believe in God and move on. For years, I kept contact with that student. And he was as far from a believer as he could possibly be. Because he was told he had no space to ask questions. He was told he's an outsider, but he wanted so desperately to be an insider. I think he's beginning to find his way back. Because there's people in his life who are allowing him to ask questions, to wrestle. They've allowed him to have a place at the table, if you will, even though maybe he doesn't look the part. He doesn't quite fit in. They're extending grace. Grace that isn't theirs, but it's grace they've received. And God allows them to reciprocate. We see that in this story. Barnabas does that. Why don't you turn over to Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15, Jesus hasn't died yet. And he's spending all of his time with his disciples and he's performing miracles and he's teaching them. He's equipping them for this time. All, all those moments in Acts, Jesus has prepared them for those challenges through his lessons and his teaching. And in Luke, we see some of his teaching. And we'll pick up here in verse 11. And he tells this story. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he'd spent everything, 
a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating but no one would give him anything when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here i am dying of hunger i'll get up go to my father and say to him father i have sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired workers so he got up and went to his father but while the son was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion he ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came near to the house he heard music and dancing so he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant your brother is here he told him and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound then he became angry and didn't want to go in so his father came out and pleaded with him but he replied to his father look i've been slaving many years for you And I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with friends. But when this son of yours came, who who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughter the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Maybe this is a familiar story to you, right? We talk about this as the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, which begs the question, which son was lost? When the younger son comes back, the father says, this son of mine was lost and now is found. But yet we see something interesting with the older son happening too. We see something going on in his heart that reveals something about him and his intentions all along. Now the younger son had gone off. He squandered his inheritance. He wished his dad dead. That's literally what what that request asked for, his inheritance. He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. He spent all the money, came back, and said, I don't have a right to be my father's son anymore i can't be an insider anymore i've done too much that disqualifies me but maybe i can stand right on the outside right if the the inside's right here i can maybe i can get this close to it that's the best i can do now because i've i've done so much against it there's no way they're going to let me back on the inside before he can even open his mouth before he can even get to the the door The father undignifies himself and runs to his son. Calls for the servant, says, let's celebrate. 
The son was lost and he's come back, he's found. You're not standing on the outside. You're on the inside. You get all of it. I'm not holding stuff back because you made poor decisions. I'm not holding some of my goodness, my grace, and my mercy back because you've made some missteps along the way. No, I want to give it all to you. And when the older son sees the way the father is treating the younger son, he gets upset. How on earth could my father treat him this way? I've done everything the right way. I've spent my whole life doing the right thing. Never making the mistake. Never being wrong. Never being so vile and disgusting. And yet, it's as if that doesn't even matter. Because the same grace I've supposedly gotten, he's getting too. The older son is so fixated on this idea of fairness that he's missing out on grace even in his own life. The older son doesn't realize it, but he's the one standing on the outside. He's the one who's standing outside of the goodness of the kingdom of God because he's refusing to allow for grace to extend beyond him. See, our reactions to someone's reputation reveals our hearts. The things we think about what they did says more about us than it says about them. And God's grace isn't fair. But God's desire for us to be insiders knows no boundaries, has no limits, continues to go and extend itself. You know, I'm convinced when, when Jesus told the disciples, I want you to go into all the nations, baptizing everyone in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you to do, that it wasn't this holiness crusade where they were on a mission of morality, where they were just trying to convince people to be good people, do right things, stop doing bad things. It wasn't about morality. The morals come as a natural flow of a relationship with a good, gracious God. The morals come out of the abundance of, of gratitude for a God who has done so much for me that I could never repay him back, and he's not even asking me to repay him back. So instead, I just say, Father, I love you. May I serve you as best I can. God believes that everyone, everyone is someone who potentially knew life with Jesus Christ and can experience total transformation. Everyone, everyone can experience the transformation of Jesus Christ. I, I say it sometimes, I've probably said it here on a sermon or two before, um, and it always ruffles feathers. So I'm going to say it again, because I've said it before, it's recorded, whatever. I believe with all my heart that the most vile, 
despicable, horrible human beings that you can conjure up in your mind were never outside the grace of Jesus Christ. I believe for all the evil, horrible, awful things that Adolf Hitler did, Jesus' grace was bigger than all of it. Now, I don't know that he accepted it. I don't know that that Adolf Hitler is an insider because I don't know that he accepted that grace. He might have chosen to stay on the outside. But I do know that God's grace was there for him. It was extended to him. It was offered to him. So don't think for a second that the things you've done disqualifies you from being fully a part of the kingdom work of Jesus Christ. Don't think that your past mistakes disqualify you from the grace that Jesus offers. That you're somehow, maybe can get kind of inside, but you're a second-class citizen. That's not how God does things. There are no second-class citizens. We're all the same. We're all accepted, all brought in, all restored, all wholly, completely, totally given access to God. And uh, the worship team's going to come up here, and we're going to close out in a song this morning all about grace. It's all about grace. Because you might have found yourself on the outside. And maybe somewhere along the way, you, you found yourself allowing God's grace to come into your life. And you feel like, ah, I've become an insider. I'm, I'm now a part. But maybe you found yourself not always extending that same grace to others. Not always allowing for that same space for them to wrestle to come to terms. Maybe you struggle with the idea that I've done everything right my whole life. How fair is it that somebody else can come in and God's grace is just as abundant and good for them as it was for me? Well, I don't know what to tell you other than that's how God's grace works. It's not fair. It's great massive. It's greater than everything and anything that could come against it. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and then I'm going to pray for us and give the benediction as we close today. Um, But once again, I encourage you to sing with your heart and your mouth about a grace that is greater than our sins. You know, it's a second line there. Really interesting to note that it doesn't say grace that can pardon and cleanse within. It doesn't say grace that might pardon and cleanse within. Grace that will go only so far to pardon and cleanse. No, it says grace that will pardon and cleanse within. So this morning, if you've never received God's grace, you have an opportunity to right now. If you've never allowed that grace to be a gift that you've received, it's very simple. As we go to prayer, I just invite you to say, God, I accept your grace. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to follow you. 
And even if you have received that grace before, God wants to give you an abundance. He wants to give you more. He wants to give you an overflowing of grace. So as we go to him in prayer, will you invite him to extend his grace all the more in your life? Heavenly Father, may we, the insiders, the people of the kingdom of God, never be so self-righteous or so self-centered to think that it's all about us. May we never be so consumed with our goals and our righteousness that we forget that it's the grace of God that makes us an insider. That it's the grace of God that fills us and enlivens us and gives us hope for the future. That it's not the things I've done. And with the same token, that those who have chosen different paths and maybe you've done things they regret in the past. Because it's not about our works, it's about the grace that the same God has just enough grace for them. He has an abundance of it for them. And may we as the insiders look for those on the outside and bring them in, welcome them in, usher them in, allow them space to wrestle and ask questions and to grow to maybe not have it all figured out because none of us do. God, may you extend your grace into our lives and may it pour out in our living, in our daily habits. Jesus, we love you. We ask this all in your holy and powerful and matchless name. Amen. So may you love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and go love your neighbor as yourself today. Go in his grace and his peace. You are dismissed. Excuse me, brother. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.